Welcome, welcome to Linen Suit and Plastic Tie, a podcast where we talk about unlocking the power of storytelling in business, personal life, and professional development. I'm Gorf. And I'm Kevin. So Kev, who are we talking to today? So today we are joined by Wyatt Thompson. He is a product manager at Tesla. He is also a co-founder of his own online clothing brand, drawnproject.com. So, before we get to the main event, we want to talk a little bit about learnings. Hey Kev, episode number two. Can we officially call ourselves expert podcasters and expert storytellers? I don't know about that, but I think we're getting better than we were from the last episode. This is a part of the journey we want to take you on. We want you to hear how we're getting better. Yes, because we are learning right alongside you. Yeah. We're not as with storytellers. We want to improve that skill. So listen every week and hear how we're getting better at telling our own story. So the first change we made, if you haven't noticed already, I got a microphone, y'all. Kev, how do you feel about the new mic? I can finally hear what you're talking about, Grof. <laughs> exciting, exciting. The second thing we learned is that quality is always more important than quantity. We want to have our episode length at 20 minutes. And the last time we just thought, well, we will get as much material as possible. And we try to edit and pick from what we get. And let's just say we had a loaded week of editing all the content we got. We learned that recording two hours for 20 minute podcast isn't always best. A few mistakes we made was our energy levels changed the timing changed, the flow was off, and that's something we learned that quantity is not always better than quality. We decided to film for less time and just be a little bit more deliberate with the questions we're asking and how the conversation is going. And then I think the third learning uh, was what we're calling hemming and hawing. In conversations, especially over Zoom, you often, hmm, oh, that's really funny, things like that. But in podcasting, that can really distract from the speaker because it causes you to speak over them and you can't see body language. So understanding to stay a little bit more silent and actively listening can be much more engaging than saying the odds like, <laughs> hmm, because that can distract from the speaking. So a better microphone, quality over quantity, and active but quiet listening are the three things we've taken away from our last episode. God, I have to be a quiet listener? Let's see how that goes. We shall find out. Okay, Kev, let's get started. So to start us off, Wyatt, uh, could you share with us about your story? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I got really into startups. I was super excited about the tech scene. I want to be an expert at talking to customers. So had this idea that I need to go be a product manager, but I ended up bouncing from like contracting gig to internship, could never get that title. So um, I'm hanging out with a couple friends. We see this Kickstarter campaign for this male romper company and they had raised a couple hundred thousand dollars and we're like, whoa, let's go back it. You know, I go onto the, to the website and I'm about to place my order and here it is May and they're not delivering the product until August. And I thought, God, you know, romper season's over by then. Why would I back this? So my friends, once again, we start looking at like AliExpress, Alibaba, and we're like, we should just buy our own rompers and design them ourselves and then just bring this to market. 
and we did that. We brought a couple thousand dollars. It's essentially like all of our savings. And we ended up launching and we sold out in 30 days. And then we took all the inventory or all the revenue, threw it back into the company and kept growing it. So I thought it was just the most random experience that you could do. Uh, we had a very successful summer and I finally used that experience to get my first job at Dollar Shape Club as a product manager. In my product career, I facilitated product launches. I worked on internal tools, um, mobile apps, all sorts of features there. And most recently, I'm now at Tesla as a product manager on the ownership experience team. Um, so that's my story on how I've come here. I think the first question I have is, what is romper season? Yeah, romper season. Well, first of all, a male romper is a, uh, it's a shirt and shorts connected at a hip. So it's kind of like a summer onesie. And we'll throw like all sorts of crazy patterns on it. So when I say romper season, um, a lot of people like to wear these in the summers or like going to a festival. So it's usually like a warmer climate. So that's what I would say is like romper season. Like not too many people are going to wear rompers for Christmas because, you know, it's kind of chilly. So when working with a company like that, you're building from nothing. You're starting with an idea mm -hmm. and in a like the retail space, that's a really hard market to kind of like build into. Totally. So can you tell me about crafting the story behind Romper Jack and how you built it in that sense? Sure. I mean, I would say our story of launching is way more interesting than the story that we showed on the screen. The, the original company, uh, Romp Him, they... Uh, had that Kickstarter campaign, raised a couple hundred thousands of dollars, got super viral. And what we ended up doing was just saying like, hey, we're, we're looking for a quick buck, but we want to be creative. Um, we'll make our own designs. And we got a really strong SEO strategy and we moved very quickly in the beginning. Um, so what ended up happening after a few weeks is Romp Him would be like number one on the Google results. Um, you would go onto the website. They'd you know, they're selling these things for almost a hundred plus dollars. They go on to result number two. We'll see, we're selling this for like between 40 to 80. With this, we essentially became like uh, what Lyft is to Uber, Pepsi is to Coke. Um, and we're able to establish ourselves as like um, one of the main premier brands. A lot of copycats were like jumping up at the bit, trying to just, you know, make a quick buck for say, but we noticed that our own audience was starting to form around this. And we started just like really catering to this, this, this audience that really cared about how good they looked in their romper. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't like, you know, just something tacky. They were like, hey, I want to look good in this outfit. So we really leaned into that. And our Facebook or Instagram would like share the stories of our customers. And we wanted to display like how excited people were to wear our products. And so that's what we ended up doing. And uh, nowadays, Romp Him actually has gone out of business and we're our sales are stronger than ever so i think it really does come back down to knowing who your customer is um partnering with with them and just building your product around their needs and their wants yeah those points are really important and you also said that this entrepreneurship experience you had helped you land uh your first job as a product manager yep. at dollar shake club right that, so, absolutely yeah so what what types of things you learn helped you kind of transfer into product management what are the skills and experience that translated yeah it's a it's a great question you know part of me asked that 
you know, nowadays. Um, I think the most direct skills that translated was like general scrappiness and wanting to build something. And I was still coming from my, my sociology background, research backgrounds and trying to prioritize needs for the customer. And so at Dollar Shave Club, the product manager they were looking for was someone that would launch products. They would own that process end to end. And they saw what we were doing with Romper Jack and they, they liked my attitude, my enthusiasm, passion for the customer and gave me a shot. In the beginning, you talked about kind of that elusive product management title, which is such a buzzword right now. And so many people are so interested in the role. And it's very hard to get into, especially if you don't have like the business background, the MBA or the uh, computer science background. So can you tell me a bit about how you crafted that story of this is why my background is better for me than the typical background? you have to have the, the right narrative, the right story of why you want to be a product manager. And so um, a, a part of that is really just focusing on what you can do better than anyone else. And I knew like, hey, I don't have the code skills. I don't have this, I don't have that, but no one's launched a male romper company. And so it's like, uh, maybe not necessarily focusing on the chinks in your armor, but like, you know, how, how cool of a sword you're carrying in the, in the battle. So. That's was kind of the mentality I had going into these interviews. Like, this is what I'm good at. Um, and this is what I can bring to you. That's interesting. It's not only about, I launched a product. It's, I launched a romper product, a male romper product. So that uniqueness of the story totally. was even more than the data itself. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, honestly, a lot of those skills you learn on the job, like, you know, how to run some SQL queries, how to like figure out what's a success, what's a failure. But yeah, it does come down to the story and just figuring out what makes you unique in that process. Uh, Gorham and I are both interested in product management, but we both come from a, a more business oriented or more tech focused uh, background. Uh, so uh, what do you think um, from your background in sociology, what do you think that, or how do you think that help you understand consumers better or how did it contribute to other parts of your work? Well, I think one of the most important aspects that you can bring to the table is the customer discovery and identifying what the right problem is. Uh, so many people will jump into the solution space and that's kind of the technical side, the design side. But um, you know, if you're not actually solving the customer's problem, whatever you build is gonna suck. It's gonna launch, it's gonna fail. So what I liked doing was spending that time with our customers talking about like, hey, uh, what's going well for you? What, what could be improved? Um, and that's what I found natural and just like the sociology degree in the first place of being able to talk to customers, ask the right questions and, you know, kind of drilling down to what their needs are. I actually follow this framework called the five whys. It's kind of, um, it started with Toyota. And it's this idea that uh, you need to get to the roots of the problem. So let's say, you know, there's something that's like overheating, right? So a lot of people would jump in and figure out like how to stop it from overheating. But a better question is to figure out why is this overheating? And then maybe you go a little bit deeper and say, oh, well, this tube is clogged. And then you go, well, why is the tube clogged? And it's like, oh, this got misaligned. 
oh, why it was why it was a misaligned. Well, there's this loose bolt over here. So instead of like focusing on like how to fix this overheating problem, all you have to do is tighten that bolt. I think it's a powerful framework and it focuses us to really think about what the right problem to solve is. Yeah, kind of building that empathy with the consumer and like digging deep to understand their needs. Totally. Versus what, what they say they want more with what can actually impact their life. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's really interesting because you're really working to understand that user story. Can you tell me a little bit about how you build a user story and how you understand that? User story, I mean, when I think of user stories, I actually think about like the individual ones. It's like, as a blank, I want to blank so I can blank. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, when I think of like a user journey, I actually like to start with almost the end in mind. It's a process called inversion. So let's say you've gone through your framework of the five whys. You've identified what the right problem to solve is. Now it's like, okay, from a product sense, what do we want the user to do and work our way backwards? So, and it's reducing as much friction to that endpoint. You know, you could do this through mockups, through wireframes. You can work with uh, design and engineering, your stakeholders collectively, whiteboards and stuff. And then um, take whatever you've mocked up, build a prototype, go back to your customer, get the feedback. It's essentially, that's the framework is you build prototypes, you test it out, you see if it actually solves some of those problems, then you go build it. That's interesting. You're working cross-functionally to get buy-in and mm -hmm. get people excited about a product that's so important for product management. Within the process of you communicating cross-functionally with all the different type of roles, is there anything uh, that struck you as unexpected on, in uh, storytelling? You know, on the discovery side, like if I'm talking to customers, one thing that surprised me was that so many people don't want to like hurt your feelings or they'll actually tell you what you want to hear. So I, I've been reading this book called, um, what's it called? It's called The Mom Test. I got it right here. Um, essentially, it's this idea that if you go to someone, or actually, if you go to your mom and you tell her that you're building an app for recipes, I'm selling it on the iOS store for $20, will you buy it? They'll likely say yes, because they just don't want to hurt your feelings and they'll get on with their life. A better approach to figuring out what you need to do is to say, um, you know, hey, when's, uh, when's the last time you've cooked? How did you figure out how to cook? Um, where'd you get that recipe book? Um, you get your answers in an indirect way, you know, directly from the customer, not telling you what they want to hear about. Uh, when it comes to storytelling, um, nothing's really surprised me. Like, I think it comes down to just like, you know, knowing what your core why is. You know, why are we doing this in the first place? What's our problem? What's the solution? And then from there, it's almost like crafting the story collectively, actually. Like you'll go to your stakeholders, they'll ask something. Maybe you haven't thought about it, but now it's a part of the story. Or even on the engineering side, like maybe you had a solution in mind, but now they'll bring their version of it. And now it's another chapter. So you're almost through this process of product creation. I, I can see this as a new story being built collectively and collaboratively. Yeah, and that's really interesting with the mom test too, like asking questions around why and asking questions about getting, it goes down to the five whys, like getting mm -hmm. deep and then building the story together, not just about these are my perceptions, I know why, but you're kind of building that with the consumer, mm -hmm. with business, with RevStrat, and that's kind of part of management as a whole, right? Working cross-functionally to build Absolutely. the story. Absolutely. 
looked at Wampa Jack, obviously, you founded that, looking at Tesla, looking at Dollar Save Club. How has that transition been when going from Wampa Jack to Dollar Save Club to Tesla from a product standpoint? Well, your priorities are different, and the way you do product management is just a completely different beast. Like with Romper Jack, our product launch process, or to create a product page, it takes 60 seconds. We're built on top of Shopify. You add a title, you add some images, you start selling stuff. So most of my mindset is around like, how am I going to sell this? Almost like a little bit more marketing. Over at Dollar Shave Club, when I first started, we took three weeks of engineering resources just to build a product page. It's like, oh, one engineer on this team has to add it to the database. Someone on the warehousing has to do this. And then this person actually like builds it all together. Uh, someone on the CMS team like adds in all the information. It was archaic. So my role almost transitioned from like facilitating this process to figuring out, well, how can I build Shopify for Dollar Shave Club? And that was the story that I brought to Dollar Shave Club, and they helped prioritize this whole initiative to, you know, make product launches easier. It's like, we need to be as good as Shopify. And then from there, I'm here at Tesla, and our whole process is unlocking customer capabilities and scaling as quick as possible. It's just, it just comes down to the priorities of the company. What's, what are we trying to do right now? What's, what's in our DNA? That's interesting too. I would love to hear more about your role at Tesla being a non-technical PM in a very technical company. Sure. I mean, I'll be honest, Tesla's super secretive. I'm actually not allowed to say too much. Um, but when it comes down to just like how I like to build things, I've, I've kind of alluded to it earlier. I still like to talk to customers. I may be working with a lot of cross-functional technical people, but I still bring like the context, the why, and um, then I work with them to figure out what the how is. It's like you're working on a spaceship after it's already taken off. The cockpit's a little janky. You're trying to steer mission control saying you need to uh, start building the moon base. Otherwise, you're going to land without any oxygen. It's, it's just a fun place to be. I noticed from your experience that you actually have given a talk at uh, product school. Oh, yeah. I don't remember it exactly, but you kind of started off uh, with a picture of Gandalf. Yeah. So um, how, do, how does that relate to product management? What would you say? How does Gandalf relate to product management? Yeah. Well, okay, the reason why I had Gandalf is, one, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, big fan of the series. Uh, two, I just thought that he was, like, really wise um you know the title of the of the speech was how to develop an experimental culture and so the points i wanted to highlight was one culture starts at the top uh, the ceo is going to have a lot more influence on a culture than an intern um two as product managers uh we don't manage anyone but we are leaders so we do influence culture on this like micro scale as opposed to like the whole macro organization. Like a, a mobile apps team is going to have a different culture than a backend team or a front end team or even uh, technology versus marketing versus customer service. So it's almost like a sociological perspective again. It's like, look at all these little micro cultures. But like, I think people can look at these, these images and kind of come from... Um, you know, this, their own perspective. They remember Gandalf and Lord of the Rings. He's like, he was kind of wise. And so maybe I was trying to put myself off as like this authority figure or trying to say that I'm wise too. I'm not. 
there's still a lot that I don't know. But yeah, that was, that was a fun question. I'm, I'm glad you watched that. So to wrap up uh, our conversation, we have the segment called Suspenders, where uh, we ask you uh, a random funny or deep question that's unrelated to anything, and you can give any random answer that you feel like. Oh, cool. Let's do yeah. this. Yeah. So what have you read, seen, or heard that has shaped your life? I, you know, I'm also a Star Wars fan. Um, my my dad was actually in the sixth movie. I I have a lot of uh, just fond memories of just watching the battle for Endor, where he was the stunt Ewok, like flying around and doing stuff. Um, so, Star Wars is one of those series that definitely means a lot to me. And one of my favorite characters on this series is Yoda. And there's a phrase that he says that uh, "Do or do not, there is no try." And so that's what I like to kind of bring. With my attitude. Wait, wait. Your dad was in the Sith Star Wars movie. Yeah. So um, I guess an another little tidbit about me is that both of my parents are actors, and one of the first things that he did after college was actually uh, do Return of the Jedi. So he had this cool experience, just going out to London, filming all these battle scenes, and he was the stunt Ewok. So. Any scene you see with an Ewok, like on a rope swing, there's an explosion behind them, uh, trying to like trip the the ATATs over, um, ATSTs, ATATs. Oh, shoot, I don't remember which one. Star Wars fans are gonna hate me, but yeah, the Chicken Walkers essentially. Um, that was my dad, and he's built an awesome career around Hollywood, which is also storytelling within itself. If we want to bring it all back to that, I mean, we would love to hear. More stories on that, then you know that that's a really fascinating story in itself. But for today, we are really thankful that uh, you're able to join us and share a little bit about your experience and your insights, uh, both in product management and uh, storytelling in itself. So, thank you, thank you so much for joining us, Wyatt. Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the pod where we analyze and dissect some of the learnings we just got from our interview. This week, our expert storyteller was Wyatt Thompson. He's a founder of his own company, former product manager at Dollar Shave Club, and currently a product manager at Tesla. So much great insight about product management, storytelling, and product as a whole. Kev, what did you think of today's interview? One thing. That stood up to me off the top of my head is you have to ask a lot of whys. When you keep asking why, you get down to the deeper root cause of the problem. Once you figure that out and you work back from there, that is how you develop a rich and complete story. And I think another important point that he brought up, which I've never thought about before, is that the story of a product. It's the result of collaborative and collective efforts, rather than、uh, a spiel that the product manager alone、uh, came up with. That idea of creating different stories for all the teams, whether it's revenue, the executive board, or 
all the cross-functional teams and the idea of taking the best parts of those stories to build a much richer story is so interesting. You know, he talked about the elusive product manager title and it was really interesting to hear about him talk about how Romper Jack got him his first product manager job because he didn't have any internships, he came from a sociology background, but he came in and said, I built this product and it was a male romper company. And the idea of how creative that is and they're like male rompers and using that creativity and that passion to get him that first step in the door is so interesting. So take a lesson from him, any aspiring product managers, go out and create something cool. It doesn't have to be the next big thing, it doesn't have to be the most fascinating thing, but something creative and cool that you can tell a story about will be so important in your professional development. Let's end it on that, people. No matter what, enthusiasm is never bad, passion is never bad. So even if it's not about the company you're talking about, even if it's not about the field that you're interviewing about, let your passion show. This has been another episode of Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. We'd like to thank our guest Wyatt Thompson for sharing his experience and knowledge. See you guys next week. Please send us synonyms for the word interesting so we stop Googling it and using words like spellbinding because we will use them wrong and it will be bad. Yeah. Bye.